Good morning, everyone. After the morning we've had, I'm the worship team and Elise and I, I'm hoping that God's got something pretty awesome prepared because it's been pretty full on, but that's okay. Um, how are you all doing? You doing good? Yes? Getting in the mood for Christmas? Always. I heard, I heard that Bruce got some decorations put up during the week. Has anyone else got decorations that they put up for Christmas yet? A couple? A couple yeses? No? Not yet. November's a little bit early, isn't it? No? Sorry. September. <laughs> All right. Uh, has anybody been playing any Christmas music yet? Yeah? Some Michael Bublé out there? Yes. Mariah Carey? Okay. Boney M. All right. Look, now, I think I've given a bit of the wrong impression to some people over the last few years that maybe I don't really like Christmas carols very much. Maybe I have a strong dislike for Christmas carols. But, but the truth is, I actually don't. I, I do like Christmas carols. They just have to be packaged in the right form. So, something a bit like this. You all know it. There you go. See, that's great. This is, this is Christmas carols. This really reminds me of Jesus and the amazing gift that he gave, right? See, so Marcus, you, you'd probably go a little bit heavier than that, right? That's a bit soft. <laughs> but look, Christmas, Christmas is a great time to uh, remember Jesus, obviously. Um, we've all got busy things happening. We might have family coming around. We might be cooking, shopping, just preparing for, for, that, for that big day, whatever we've made it for ourselves. Uh, and this Advent Conspiracy series is really just about remembering why we do what we do at Christmas. Because it's very easy to get lost in the shopping, to get lost in the, the buying of presents, to get lost even in, in, in focusing on family, which is a great thing. It's easy to forget amongst the stress of all that, that what we're coming to do is to worship Jesus and to worship our King who, who gave everything for us. So, so that's what this series is about. So with that in mind, what I'm going to talk about today is relevant not just for Christmas time, not just for uh, the silly season, but for every day of our lives. And so I hope that with what I'm going to say that God will bring His revelation to you, not my words. And uh, let's just start with some prayer. God, I thank you that you came and you gave yourself for us and that we have the opportunity to be in relationship with you and to spend amazing times worshipping you and glorifying you because of what you've done, God. And I pray that today that your words will speak through me and that um, your presence will just be so evident today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the topic for today is to worship fully. Now, what does it mean to worship fully? When we think about worship, or when I think about worship anyway, up until the last little while, I've kind of looked through a very Western Christianized lens of what worship is. When I picture someone worshiping, I probably picture someone with their eyes closed, hands raised, maybe singing the latest Hillsong worship song. And that's kind of what my picture of worship is. 
we have a strong connection between the word worship and between the idea of music. We have worship songs, we have worship leaders, worship conferences that we can go to. But what does the Bible actually say about worship? Because somewhere along the way in our language, we've actually lost a little bit of an idea or a little bit of an understanding of what worship is. So if we look at all the times that worship is mentioned in the Bible and the context of the way that it's mentioned... Let me find my spot again. (laughs) Worship is never specifically linked with music in the Bible. Let me say that again, because it's a little bit shocking. It was shocking to me. Worship in the Bible, the word worship, is never linked with music. Look, good Pentecostal sermons always do things in three, so I'm going to say it one more time so you remember it, okay? (laughs) Worshiping God is not dependent on music is not relying on music, and even the idea of worship music is questionable because music is an action and not a description. So, let's look at a few examples of where the word worship is used in the Bible. The first use of the word worship is in Genesis chapter 22. So, we've got Abraham, and we've got his son Isaac, and They're going to go on a bit of a father-son camping trip out to the mountains, which sounds great, except that God's asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, which is pretty heavy. Um, If you know the story, so God had promised Abraham and Sarah that they would have many descendants, that they would have descendants as many as the stars and the sand, and they were old Sarah was barren, they hadn't had any kids, and then they had Isaac after God promised this, which was an amazing fulfillment of promise. But now God was asking Abraham to sacrifice that promise. So if you have your Bibles, anybody read a real Bible anymore? Or we use a Bible app? I don't, I use the Bible app too because lots of different versions is great. Uh, We're going to start at Genesis chapter 22 and verse 3. So should be up on the screen. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy will go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. So that's the first use of the word worship in the Bible. If we look at the Hebrew, because Genesis was written in Hebrew originally, Uh, my apologies for pronunciation if any of you speak Hebrew, the word for worship used is shacha, which means to bow down, to prostrate oneself before superior in homage, before God in worship, before false gods, or before angels. Now, uh, shacha, or Prostrate is uh, it's a little bit of an older word that I wasn't 100% sure on what it meant, so I looked into it. Now, does anybody remember? A few years ago, there was a bit of a trend going around where people would lie down on random things and take a photo. Planking. Matt knows exactly what it is. Do you know how to do it? Did you ever do it? Did anyone ever partake in planking? 
You're not going to admit to it if you did. Ah, Dave, here we go. Do you reckon you could demonstrate a plank for me? Why not? Ah, I didn't, I didn't even brief him on this. That, that's a pretty good, that's a plank. I think for it technically to be a plank, you have to take a picture and you have to name it. So that would be the stage plank. Um, but to prostrate oneself is basically that, to lie flat on your face in front of someone. Uh, in, a, in a sign of reverence, in a sign of humility, in a sign of surrender. Now, when Abraham says that we'll go to worship and then we'll come back to you, He's not just talking about going to the mountain and lying down flat on his face. There's actually a lot more that goes with that. So, he wasn't going to the mountain to sing some worship songs. He wasn't going to even just bow down. He was going to make a sacrifice, which God had asked him to do. But my first point with what Abraham was doing, what worship was is that Abraham had to be obedient to what God asked him to do. Because the biggest thing with that story is that he was obedient. The sacrifice was even provided by God later on. The sacrifice wasn't the important part, even though he had to be willing to sacrifice. It was the obedience of his heart that was an attitude of worship for him. So my first point is that the first step towards worshipping fully is obedience. If we are listening to God, then we should be hearing His voice. And if we're hearing His voice, then we should be willing to do what He asks us to do. That's obedience. It's pretty simple. Now, the second example of worship I'm going to look at is from the book of Matthew. We're going to jump around the Bible a little bit here. But in Matthew, we're going to read from the start of chapter 2. Now, this is a little bit more Christmassy themed. Now, after Jesus was born in the Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. That word worship in this instance is in Greek, because the New Testament, for the most part, was written in Greek. And the Greek word for worship is proskuneo. Again, apologies if you speak Greek. But it means just like shaka, to bow down, to prostrate oneself. It also means to kiss the hand to, towards one in a token of reverence, to fall upon the knees and touch the ground with the forehead as an expression of profound reverence, or used of homage shown to men and beings of superior rank. So, very similar to the Hebrew translation, which probably means that the word was meant in a similar way. So, for these kings, for these three wise men, sorry, it's not even three wise men. I don't know why I went there. For these wise men, uh, we'll keep reading from verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That bit's not on the end. That's okay. So 
It says that they fell down and worshipped him. This would have been in a literal sense of them laying down flat in front of the baby Jesus, the young Jesus. And it was that proskuneo, that shaka, that physical worship of the Messiah to be. But what did it require for them to do to worship him? If we think about the wise men, we don't know exactly who they are. There's some speculation about who they might have been, but we know that they're men of knowledge. They know the prophecies concerning the Messiah to come. We know that they know how to track the stars. They've got some brains. Um, but beyond knowledge, we know that they're men of wealth because they're bringing gifts of extravagance in the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So these are men of knowledge and wealth, and with wealth, particularly in that time, but also in our time, comes power. So these are men of wealth, knowledge, and power, and they're coming to a two-year-old, and they're lying flat on their face in worship of him. Now, I would think that that would take some humility. I don't know how many two-year-olds you're bowing down to in your daily life. I'm not bowing down to many at the moment. But then I don't have Jesus as a baby in my life to bow down to. So I think for to, to, to be able to... Um, sorry. To be able to get to that point of bowing down to a young child, A, they would have had to have a lot of faith in the prophecies, but B, they would have had to humble themselves and bow down. So that's my second main point here. So worship requires obedience, but it also requires humility. We've got to be able to submit ourselves fully to God's sovereignty, to his plan and to his call above our own plan. And we can't worship him fully unless we come with a humble heart and unless we come with obedience. So up until this point where Jesus enters the picture, worship generally has been a physical act, or mostly a physical act. Sacrifice, physical laying down or planking, um, the... I lost my spot again. Um, worship was conducted in a temple. You would go to the temple, to a physical building where God was supposed to reside, and you would worship him there. There were lots of rules about how you could worship. There were rules about being clean and about the Sabbath day, what days you would worship. And rules basically dominated the way that the Jews worshipped at this time. If you look at particularly the Pharisees, it was very, very rule and very law-driven worship. So this next discussion about worship that we're going to look at is one that is exceedingly important in understanding the context of what worship is to the modern believer, to us. And it starts with Jesus, now that he's grown up. He's no longer a two-year-old, but he did grow up. He's traveling, and he's passing through Samaria with his disciples. And he stops at a well to grab a drink. He might have, might have wanted a Coke. I don't know. What was refreshing in that day? He wanted a drink. It was hot. It was the desert. That's what you do. So... At this well, he meets a Samaritan woman. Now, the fact that he even talks to a Samaritan woman is outrageous in its own thing. A, she was a woman. B, she was a Samaritan. He shouldn't have been talking to her, technically, but Jesus didn't really follow the rules. Um, and he asked her to get him some water. Now, he has a conversation with her, 
And because he's God, he reveals himself as a prophet to her, as a man who knows her life and her story in a way that no one else has before. So if we read from John chapter 4, verse 19, we'll continue the conversation here. It says, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Now Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. So this statement represents a change in the way that worshipping God is understood. Up until this point with Jesus, worship was you go to the temple. For the Samaritans who might have been had a slight misunderstanding of things, it was go and worship on the mountain. But you go to a physical place, you lay down, you bring your sacrifices, and that's the way that you worship God. But here Jesus is saying, the time is coming when you're not even going to worship. In Worship isn't going to be constrained to a single place. Now, we know that through Jesus' sacrifice, everything changed. Not only was the worship of God open to all, the way to worship God is to approach him as a spiritual being. So let's read from verse 21. It says, oh, 22? Cool. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So, this idea of worshipping in spirit is a move away from worshipping in the physical, because people were used to worshipping in such a physical way that, and, and also because before Jesus died and, and came back to life, a spirit life was really not connected with God in any way because we were so distant. So with Jesus' death and resurrection, he opened up the doors for us to, to connect with God in his spiritual form because God is spirit. So to worship in spirit means that we can have a direct relationship with God with our Heavenly Father, with our Creator. We don't have to go to a temple and be scared of the box that's in there that might kill us if we look at it and we're unclean. We don't have to go in fear about our daily lives, knowing, oh, did I, did I sacrifice for that sin? I'm not sure. Um, okay. No, we can, we can talk to God right here and right now. And we saw that in our worship service. We were able to really um, connect with God in a way that was not confined to a place, you can have that connection with God wherever you are. It doesn't have to be here. It doesn't have to be in a church service. Worship goes beyond these four walls, goes beyond this suburb. It goes out into the whole world. It's not something that we can contain. And when we get an idea of what that worship is, it will change our hearts and will give us a bigger view of the world so that we can reach it for Him. So to worship in truth... So we're worshipping in spirit and in truth. To worship in truth means to come with pure intentions and a pure heart. 
Jesus' main issue with the way that the Pharisees saw worship was that it was all about position. It was all about the way that they looked to everybody else. They saw the Pharisees there standing with his hands raised. Oh God, thank you that you've made me so amazing. Thank you that you've blessed me. Thank you that everybody's looking at me. Maybe they, they didn't realize quite where their hearts were, but they definitely weren't on Jesus or on God because otherwise Jesus wouldn't have had an issue with the way that they worshipped. So there was nothing genuine about their worship. Their heart was focused on themselves, not on God. At some point, they lost what the real meaning of worship was in the physical act and in the rules that surrounded how you were supposed to worship. So as we come to Christmas, remembering this amazing gift that we've been given. It's an amazing gift. Nothing can even compare to the grace that we've been given. We have this opportunity to have an intimate relationship with our Creator, with the person who made us. And I I can't even begin to comprehend how profound that is, that we can have a direct relationship with the God that put every single atom of the universe into existence. But it's a powerful thing. And when you get a sense of that power, that we have a one-on-one relationship with that God, what can we believe for? What can we believe for in our lives? So to worship fully, we have to worship God in spirit. You have to have a one-on-one relationship with Him. We have to worship Him in truth. We're not coming to this because I get up on stage and I get to talk to you. I'd probably rather not, but God knows. We come with humility. It's not about how good we are. It's not about how uh, our position or our rank or what we can get out of it. It's about what we can bring. And we come in obedience because obedience is the starting point for God being able to use us. God says, do this, and we say yes. That's the starting point. That's a very powerful point because as we, the more we say yes, the more God will ask us to do. So, what about the music then? Now that I've kind of kicked it out, should we just get rid of all the instruments, get them off the stage? What's the purpose of music if not worship? Look, just because music isn't translated directly as worship in the Bible doesn't mean that through music we can't worship God. I added a little bit of shock factor at the start by saying that music has nothing to do with worship, but music can have something to do with worship and the way that we worship. But the reason for that is is because God's put something very powerful in music. I don't totally understand what it is, but when we have to be careful with music, right? Or be careful with our understanding of what music is and what worship music is. Because, so a few years ago, um, Elise and I went to a, a concert. Um, we went and saw Mumford and & Sons, and it was like out in a big park. It was like a festival kind of thing. It, uh, Mumford & Sons aren't a Christian band necessarily, a few of their members say they have faith, and a few of their lyrics might imply God stuff, but 
this concert was, you know, a, a regular secular music festival. People were drinking. There were some funny smelling clouds floating around. Um, it, w it was great. We kind of knew what it was. But there was moments in that concert where I distinctly remember having exactly the same feeling as I've had raising my hand worshipping in church. Exactly the same feeling. And in my journey of being, oh, learning to worship God and understanding the difference between what we do here in church and what we do out there, I've come to realize that the worship doesn't, the feeling doesn't matter. How you feel in a worship service doesn't matter because we're not here to make you feel good. If you want to feel good in music, go out and see Coldplay. Go down to Hillsong down the road. They probably do it a lot better than we do. Um, no, what we do is amazing here, and our team is awesome, and it does feel amazing to listen to good music, but that's not what it's about. It's about our hearts, and if we're coming to worship expecting to get a good feeling from a worship service, then we're coming to worship for the wrong reason. We're coming to worship to position our hearts ready for God to move in it. Because what happens if the band has an off day? I, I have an off day as, you know, a singer or a guitar player. I'm sure people notice that, and I notice that. If I'm out in the crowd and the band makes, you know, we have an off day. Does that mean that we don't get to worship God for that 15 minutes that week? No, because worship isn't contained here. Worship is everywhere, right? I'm not just trying to take pressure off our worship leaders, but worship starts with you. It starts with obedience. It starts with humility. If you're coming to a worship service ready to hear what God's got to say in obedience, in humility, ready to worship God in spirit and in truth, I guarantee that He is going to move in you in a way that you have never seen before, and He is going to change your life because worship is powerful, not because of the music. The music is great. The music sets an atmosphere, but it's not the music that makes the worship. So, I'm going to wrap up today, and a little bit contradictory, I'm going to play a bit of a song. But what I want us to do is not necessarily worry about singing along. Let's not worry about, you know, the words. They're not even going to be up on the screen. Let's just spend some time thinking about where we can set our hearts to be in more obedience with God. Is there a place that we need to humble ourselves in worship? How's our connection with God? How's that one-on-one -on -one spirit connection with God going? Are we hearing His voice? Are we worshipping in truth? So, I'm just going to get set up. If you want to stand, if you want to sit, if you want to kneel, wherever you want to be that's most comfortable for you to just... Get into that one-on-one, -on -one, close relationship with God, that place that you know. Do that.
slipped away and I simply
I hope that this new kind of or fresh kind of understanding of worship, maybe maybe it's just me that always equated worship with music, but I pray that you're able to take this idea of what worship really is and apply it in your life, whatever that looks like. If it brings you closer to God, that's amazing. He's definitely going to do that for me. So, I 